0: You are tuned in to the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. I am truly grateful for each of you for tuning in today. And support for this podcast comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, bringing the Jackson Hole community residential and commercial food waste composting options. Call 307-733-7678 for more information. I'm beginning today's episode with a quote from Atticus Finch, who's the lead character in Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird. The one thing that doesn't abide by a majority rule is a person's conscience. Welcome to episode number 238. Today's guest is a former rodeo competitor, a former rancher who has turned chocolatier. That is Tim Kellogg. Tim has the pleasure and absolute delight to live in the northwest quarter of Wyoming, and that's still a little west of Jackson because we are the furthest west here in Wyoming. But he lives west of Jackson in the community of Matitsi. You don't know where Matitsee is? Get out that Google map and figure it out because it is in a beautiful, beautiful place in this country. Growing up in his grandmother's kitchen, Tim learned how to do things the right way in a kitchen. Take your time, be patient, and follow your path. Now, what has started as a side job to earn some money, Tim's full-time endeavors are hand crafting gourmet chocolate by focusing on finding the best ingredients available. You're gonna hear from Tim what he does with chocolate and what links he goes to to find some of these high quality ingredients. He's so passionate about that, he gets to travel around the globe to faraway places to find these high-end chocolate. And Tim shares with us today the time and passion that it takes to go into making such a craft product that we love, chocolate. Tim, welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for taking the time to join me today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. You're
0: welcome. So you're located in Matitsee, Wyoming. Um, yes. You're with Matitsee. You are the Matitsee chocolatier. Yes, that's. And you are the first person I've had on the podcast from Matitsee and oh, yeah. connected to that location. So first, let's start off with. What is, are you from Wyoming? How did you land out in this big area that we love to call home?
1: I moved down to Matitsee about 22 years ago from Cody. My parents lived in Cody and I got a job on a ranch outside of Matitsee. So I've been in Matitsee, I think since 2001, 2002-ish maybe. Mm-hmm. So it's been like over 20 years in Matitsee now. And
0: you said you moved from Cody. Yes. And were you born and raised in Cody?
1: I I wasn't, but I've lived there most of my life. Okay. So, what yeah. took your family over to Cody? My, well, my parents lived there, and um, after school, I just moved up to Cody. Um, I was looking for ranch jobs around the area, but nothing nothing was working out. And I actually wanted wanted to live in Matizzi, and just as luck would have it a uh, family that had a ranch up on the North Fork, kind of between Cody and Yellowstone's East entrance that was hiring. And I went out there to talk to them and they said that they had just bought a ranch in Matizzi and they were actually looking for someone to work for them in Matizzi. And I was just like, this is perfect because I've always wanted to live in Matizzi. And so I came down to Matitsee and was working on the ranch and it was a uh, summer only job, like a 90 day job. And they said, you know, if things work out, we might be able to keep you on through the winter. And after the first 90 days, I, you know, went up to the ranch owner and was like, Hey, you know, you said this was kind of a conditional job, you know, what are your thoughts? And he was like, are you happy? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, so are we. And that was it. And so I ended up working there for about 14 or 15 years. And then, you know, my business kind of started in 2004 ish, just, kind of as like a side hustle to make money to pay for rodeo and then as my business grew my time on the ranch start went from full-time to part-time and then a couple years ago the family that owns the ranch sold it and at that point I decided to go full bore with Matissi Chocolatier and uh, just stick to the chocolates. Um, I didn't want to be that guy on the ranch with a new family and a new herd and everything being like well this is how we always did it this is how we always did it like I, you know, I just want to make a clean break. So yeah, I'm here full-time in the store now.
0: Now, Matitsi, what was your draw to Matitsi? And and share with people some background on Matitsi, where it is located in the States. And and yeah, what was your draw to it?
1: Yeah. Matitsi is about half an hour South of Cody, about an hour North of Thermopolis. We're actually on the backside of the mountain from Dubois. Dubois is about Twenty-six or twenty-seven miles away, as the crow flies, they say. But uh, you can't get there from here. So we're in the northwest corner, right outside the Yellowstone ecosystem. It's a great little town. There's about three hundred and thirty people in Matitzi, give or take. And there's actually quite a lot going on for a small town. It's a wonderful place up in the mountains, and a lot of agriculture, ranching, farming, and then some like the oil industries is big out here. When you say there's
0: A lot going on. So I got the ranching. And what type of ranching is out there?
1: Predominantly cattle. There used to be some sheep farms and there's actually a buffalo ranch up Mm -hmm. the Wood River, but it's predominantly beef cattle. Mm -hmm. And then there's some like east of here, there's a lot of crop farming, you know, barley, wheat, things like that. Hay, straw. Okay. And 340 people, you must know them all. You'd be surprised. Every now and then I meet someone that I don't know, but I sometimes I'm stuck in the store for long periods of time and I don't get out a whole lot. So <laughs> But yeah, we have a pretty good solid population of people who've been here a long time. And share with people
0: what were you doing on that ranch that you were on for like fourteen, fifteen years. And yeah. and then also what was a winter like?
1: So I was basically like the ranch hand cowboy kind of thing. Um so Taking care of the cattle, taking care of the horse, is doing all that stuff. A lot of in this ranching is very cyclical. So about the time you're tired of one season, it's time to move on to the next. So like right now, everyone's cabbing. So you have to kind of I would be the night cabber. So I would work like 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. and go out in the herd and make sure that the cows that were giving birth were doing okay. And if there's any sort of issue, I'd be there to help out. And then in the spring, there's a lot of irrigation and dragging fields, which is just kind of cleaning up the fields after the winter, always fencing. Um, we have a lot of elk and other animals out here and and that tends to take down the fences and stuff like that. And the snow drifts will knock down fences in the winter. So fencing is a round the clock, round the calendar thing. Um, luckily for the ranch and for me, I really loved night calving and fencing. And those are usually the two worst jobs on the ranch and also mucking stalls because I'm very OCD. So a lot of nights I would have to sleep in the barn and I wanted to make sure that they were spotless because I you know, wanted to know what was and what was not underneath all the hay and straw. So those three jobs were perfect for me. So I think that's why the ranch kept me so long. I'm definitely a winter person. So the winter's here, much like Jackson, You know, it's been snowing since late September, early October. It does get very cold. In January and February, we had quite a few days or weeks below zero. The worst I saw this year was 37 below. And that's, even for me, that's kind of a little, that's past my threshold. But when the sun's out because of our elevation, as you know, it's, it's actually warm in the sun. You don't notice the cold as much until the sun sets. And, you know, because we're up in the mountains, the sun sets really early in the winter. I'm um, so you, f- <laughs> you do mm-hmm. feel it really quick mm-hmm. and then, you know, it's kind of sluggish in the morning getting started until the sun comes up again. But yeah, I'm definitely a winter person. And so the summer is really are harder for me than the, than the summers are. I'm sorry. The summers are harder for me than the winters are. I mean, were there many people working on that ranch in the wintertime? There wasn't
0: much going on.
1: There, there was three of us. Uh huh. There's there's quite a lot to do in the winter. Uh, there is some downtime, but there's a lot of maintenance that needs to be done. Like after the harvest in the fall, uh, like when we were baling hay and stuff to get us through the winter, then we do a lot of work on all the different, like the trucks and the tractors and things like that and building maintenance and other projects around the ranch that you just never get to in the summer when you're really busy. Um, and then also, you know, we, we are cabbing at that time, like February, March, April, and that takes a tremendous amount of time because you, you, someone has to be with the herd or in the vicinity of the herd to make sure that everything's going well, especially in bad weather. We're feeding the cows daily, so you have to go out every morning with the big one-ton round bales and spread them out. Make sure that the cows are all eating. We have water. We have um, water troughs around that. Have to make sure that they're running, and then also cracking the ice on the creek every day to make sure that they have access to fresh, clean water. There's actually quite a bit goes on in the winter. It's not as much as the summer, but it's nice to have a slightly shorter workday in the winter because then you know in the summer it's going to be sun up to sundown and sometimes longer on both ends. Mm-hmm. So it, it all
0: balances out at the end. So, And, and tell me about, you said that you started Metiti Chocolates to help fund your rodeo.
1: Yeah. This is, this is a very, the story makes so much sense to me, but it does seem a little odd to outsiders, but I used to be a saddle bronc rider and I needed to get a new bronc saddle. And at the time, the saddle I needed was about, I I think it was like eight or $900, something like that, um, or maybe even a little bit more. And I didn't have the money. And my, my grandmother was a phenomenal cook and she used to make everything by scratch and from hand. And she never let people in her kitchen unless you were working. And so I would always be in the kitchen to lick the beaters and the spoons and spatulas. And she would put me to work. And I just kind of grew up always knowing how to make these things. And so when she died, I started making chocolates and things for close family and friends for Christmas. And if you only make chocolate once or twice a year, it is brutally awful. (laughs) (laughs) It takes hours and hours and hours to make a few mildly edible chocolates. And um, so my mom had suggested that during the Cody Stampede, which is big pro rodeos, July 1st through 4th in Cody, that they have an art in the park. And she said, you should get a booth and sell the chocolates and raise money. And I absolutely did not want to to do that. I wanted to be out running around and going to the rodeos and drinking and having a good time with my friends. My mom's like, if this, if you want the money, this is what you have to do. And I kind of whined and complained to my rodeo coach at the time. And he was like, you have to pay to play in rodeo. And he's like, he's like totally took my mom's side and um, I'm very stubborn. And so I, I did it to prove them both <laughs> wrong. And I ended up selling out like every day and I was like, oh my gosh, this is a great scam. I can make chocolates and sell them at the rodeos around the region. And because every town has a big rodeo at some point in the year, and then they have some sort of festival in the local park and like a, a market of a farmer's market of some sort. And so I started going around here and sell truffles and brownies and chocolates in the morning and afternoon and then do the rodeo in the in the afternoon or evening. And business really just kind of grew from there. It was very organic. It, retrospect, that was a great way to start the business because I learned what people liked and what they didn't like. And also, you know, when I started having repeat customers, I was like, wow, there's kind of something to this. And then friends would call and be like, Hey, you know, it's my girlfriend's birthday or it's my wife's anniversary. Can you make some chocolates for us? And so, you know, the business just kind of grew from that, which was actually pretty smart, even though that wasn't planned.
0: And how old were you? Because you're talking about rodeo coach.
1: Yeah, I was in my 20s.
0: Okay. And your mom telling you, hey, that's what you got to do if you want to keep rodeoing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I I was a terrible saddle bronc rider. Uh, I had a lot of fun and absolutely loved doing it. You know, I was never going to go to the NFR, which is big national finals rodeo, but it was a lot of fun and it was a great thing to do. Great way to spend your weekends.
0: Was there a lot of travel for you
1: in, in the rodeo? Yeah, it was all regional, uh-huh. you know. Okay. Just all the little towns in Big Horn Basin. And, you know, most towns in Wyoming have a rodeo at some point in the summer or early fall. And so it was just a fun way to get together and go out and have some fun, maybe make a couple bucks here and there and have a good time.
0: So were you able to raise enough to buy your saddle? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which was Maybe great. a truck as well or a new hat?
1: I a new hat, but never made enough to get a new truck at that point. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. And so now you have this business, Matizzi Chocolatier, yeah. full time year round yeah. that started off as a little hustle to raise money to buy a saddle. Yes. And tell us what, why, why is it that if you make chocolate just once or twice a year, it's a big pain? But if you're doing it regularly like you do, it's not as much of a pain, I guess, or hassle.
1: I I think it's all about rhythm in the kitchen. You know, if working with chocolate, you know, tempering chocolate and making the ganaches and all that stuff is um, time consuming and it has to be done properly because chocolate can be very unforgiving. If it's not tempered properly, it won't have that kind of clean snap and creamy texture to it. It'll be kind of crumbly and dry and, you know, you'll have the cocoa bloom. Where like the cocoa butter seeps out of the chocolate and gets little white spots all over it, mm-hmm. and so if you do it, you know once or twice a year, it's you have to basically relearn the entire process every single time. But when you're doing it constantly, daily, it's just like anything that you do, like speaking a foreign language or swimming or running or whatever. You know, the consistency of doing it day after day, you know, you get into a flow and a rhythm, and it just becomes easier. Especially it's, it's easier to maintain the store and like refill the cases daily than just kind of constantly stopping and starting and redoing everything every time. So yeah, it's chocolate's a wonderful medium, but it, it taught me patience, which was something I never <laughs> had before. So I guess that's a very good thing.
0: Well, you probably had it. You just didn't know how to find it, but chocolate yeah. taught you how to find
1: it. Yeah, that's true. And do you still have a, a spot here in Jackson? I, I don't. I used to have a store in Jackson quite a long time ago. I think it closed six years ago, but I do from time to time work with Nick and Nora over at Sweet Cheeks Meats. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll do some baking for them and make pastries for them and then help them out from time to time. I was kind of busy through the holidays, so I haven't had a chance to be over there as much as I'd like to, but yeah, they're, they're a good resource for me. Cool.
0: And what about throughout the rest of the state? Do you have locations throughout the rest of the state?
1: No, just here in Matisse. Everything's made by hand by me every single day. And I, I don't use any, I don't add any additional sugar to the chocolates, no additives, no preservatives, no stabilizers, none of that stuff. So they have a very, very short shelf life. So even if I was able to or wanted to wholesale, I really couldn't because by the time it got onto another business's shelves, it would have to sell that day or be expired and also because everything's made by hand by me it's you know a full-time job just keeping my cases full uh, daily so i I really wouldn't have the ability to do or have a second store again or have you know a wholesale wing of the of the business
0: and for the time that you put into these products i mean doing it every single day yeah has this become passion, a love?
1: Yeah, I, I I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. Um, I always promised myself from the beginning, from day one, I was like, if I ever get sick of this, if this becomes a burden, just walk away. And that was like the one thing I promised myself at the beginning. And, you know, it's not all perfect. There are days that drive me nuts, but in the long run, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I, I really like what I do. And it's nice to, you know, learn new techniques and Come up with new flavor profiles and new chocolates and, you know, kind of present that to my customers and get their reaction.
0: So, Tim, we're going to take a quick break and I am very curious to find out more about your love and passion for, for yeah. what you do. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,662 tons. Of food waste are disposed of in the trash in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve the county's goal to reduce, aiming for zero waste. For more information on Teton County ISWR's residential and commercial food waste programs, visit tetoncountywy.gov/recycle. Change begins with each of us one day at a time Tim welcome back thoroughly enjoying listening to you how you went from rancher cowboy rodeo to being a chocolatier yeah <laughs> not a transition that i would imagine many ranchers go to yeah but kudos to you and are you, do you have a family there in in Matizzi, No, I'm I'm single. Okay. Um, yeah, And so you're there making chocolate every day because your product doesn't have a long shelf life because of the quality right. and you're not putting, like you said, stabilizers in it. I didn't know chocolate needed stabilizers to be able to have a long shelf life.
1: It, you know, in tablet form, like in bar form, dark chocolate is shelf stable on its own for quite a long time with the stuff, the chocolates that I make, you know, when you're adding dairy, like cream and butter and all that stuff that does shorten its shelf life significantly because as you know, like dairy and stuff can get sour after a while. Mm. And so you have to add a lot of sugar to it to keep it shelf stable. But then that changes the flavor of the chocolate. And I'm using premium chocolate as my base and so i don't really want to mask flavor or or make it overly sweet and then for the larger producers you know when they have stuff going across the country or around like uh, the midwest or the west or or the south they need to add that so that it, it can handle the the shipping process and the change in temperature and, you know, the conditions at whatever store it ends up at, and then also be able to be sold for weeks or months down the line. And, and that's great for them. But I just, when I started the business, I didn't have any money, so I couldn't really afford any of those additive preservative stabilizers. I didn't want them. And I, you know, I just thought I, I, I want clean, good quality chocolates. I I don't want stuff that's going to have artificial flavoring and I and mean, just, you know, I, I want people to taste the pure chocolate, you know, and all the flavors and the nuances of the chocolate itself, as opposed to just having a snack.
0: Mm. So, where does your chocolate come from?
1: Do I, I use predominantly, I use my workhorse is a Belgian chocolate. But then I also have been sourcing beans from Belize for the last few years and grinding my own. So, I'll grind the beans, make my own dark and milk chocolate. But the, with the single origin chocolates, their flavor is so pronounced. Um, it's similar to the terroir of wine. So, you know, where they're grown, how they're grown, you know, the soil, the air, the, the sunlight, all that affects the flavor of the bean. So with those, I just make tablets like chocolate bars so that people can get all the nuances out of them because I don't want to add any sort of flavor to it because that will end up masking it or kind of ruining the, the beauty of the single origin cacao.
0: And you said that's for your milk chocolate, not your dark chocolate?
1: Well, no, for dark and milk. Oh, okay. I I just started making my own milk chocolate last week, as a matter of fact. Oh, Um, cool. But it's actually, it's considered a dark milk because it's 45% cacao, which is really high because most milk chocolates are in the teens or low 20s for Mm. cacao percentage. With my dark tablets, there's only three ingredients. There's the cacao bean, organic cane sugar, and then just a little bit of cocoa butter. And then for the milk chocolate, it's those three ingredients, plus I use organic whole milk powder. And so it's actually, yeah, it's a dark milk, but it it has just a, a tremendous amount of flavor and you can get all these notes of like figs and tobacco and raisin and plum, which is kind of fun for people to experience in a milk chocolate because a lot of people will be like, oh, I don't like milk chocolate. And I'm like, try this one. This is different. It's going to be stronger than a lot of the dark chocolate bars you'll see in your mass-produced retail. And
0: and you just mentioned single sourced chocolate. Yeah. And are you going to Belize to meet with some of these farmers to yeah. buy these cow beans?
1: Yeah. I, I go down to Belize in January for about two weeks and go around to several different farms and meet with the families or the owners and, um, yeah, buy beans in person. Duh. The cacao industry, you know, it's a commodity. So you buy off the market. And so if I buy beans off the market, it goes through multiple hands before it gets back to the farmer. And so then the farmers may get pennies on the dollar, if that, because the middlemen are the ones that are making the profit. And for the price I'm paying for the beans, it's better to be sourcing them direct because then that family gets a 100% of the money as opposed to. 5% of the money. At the moment, Belize is the only nation, I believe, has all their cacao farms are um, family owned and organic. Uh, there's no factory farming at the moment in Belize. And the beans that come from there are just spectacular. They have huge notes of like bright fruit, dried cherries, and they're just very bold. And it just has a wonderful flavor profile. Belize is also a very affordable destination as an American. So that plays into it because it's very expensive to travel outside of the country for several weeks at a time. And so because the exchange rate is in our favor, it's cost effective for me to go down there and work for two weeks and then bring everything back.
0: Kudos, man, um, for going directly to those farmers so they can put as much money in their pockets. You hear about some of these countries where the farmers just don't get paid right. A, even a small fraction of what goes, you know, with the market yeah. prices for those products. So I wish more chocolatiers were doing what you're doing.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a very labor intense operation because on a cacao tree, you could have everything from a budding flower all the way up to a ripe fruit, and then everything in between. So there's no way for it to be mechanized harvest. It, So it all, everything, every pod has to be cut by hand daily. And so there's, there's a lot of labor issues with the factory farms, uh, which is not good. So at least if I'm dealing one-on-one with the families, I know that the money is going to the family itself. And I can see that their work practices when I'm out in the, in the trees with them. And then there's a mind boggling statistic or fact, actually Cocoa pod. We'll have approximately 32 beans inside, and once fermented and dried and ground into chocolate, that will create one ounce of chocolate. And when you think about the hundreds or thousands of pounds of chocolate, I go through a year. Let alone the big, you know, Nestle, Hershey, Ghirardelli, guitar companies go through hundreds of millions of tons. When you think about just the sheer volume of cacao pods that have to be picked every year, cacao actually blooms twice a year. So they have two harvest seasons a year, which is good because it's a little more sustainable that way because the trees is producing twice a year as opposed to once a year, like most fruit bearing trees. But it's just a tremendous amount of product to get into my store or into any shelf you know, for chocolate.
0: Are some of those farms genera- multi-generational?
1: Oh, yeah. 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 And the the sad thing about cacao is in most regions where it's grown, they just sell the the beans and that's it. Like they don't actually get to eat chocolate or have like chocolate's not uh, a novelty there. It's not just kind of a, a thing like here where it's everywhere. So one nice thing in Belize and in quite a few other places now, the family farms are kind of diversifying. Their um, profitability by having like a small shop, like a roadside shop, where people can pay ten dollars and go on a tour and see how chocolates, you know, grow. See how cacao is grown, and then see how chocolates made. And they'll kind of hand grind the cacao with them and and teach them about that process. So that's actually a great way for them to make a little bit extra money and then actually be able to enjoy literally the fruits of their labor.
0: Well, probably helps them become more sustainable. And thrive as a family. Yes. As well.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: And so are you bringing chocolate in just once a year or you have it staged with how Um, it gets shipped to you?
1: Typically, I just go down in January and try to get enough beans to last me as long as possible. There is a collective um, that a, a guy in Colorado runs where he works with family farms around the globe to import beans for people like me who are not buying by the pallet or by the ton. can buy 25 to 50 pounds at a time off of him. So I do have some beans from like Tanzania, Madagascar, Uganda, places like that. But there's no way I could ever justify flying there to buy 25 to 50 pounds or even a couple hundred pounds like I do in Belize. Just, that's just unrealistic and I, I don't have that kind of money or time. So I work with them and that's great because there's just, it's me to him, to the family, as opposed to me, to him, to an importer, to an exporter, to another middleman, to a sorcerer, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And so instead of six to 10 people taking a cut of the pie, it's just the three of us. And and that's I, so I really like working with them because they source great beans. They're almost all organic and single, obviously all single origin and direct trade, fair trade. And that, that means a lot to me. How many different countries are represented
0: in the beans that you use?
1: I would say 75% are Belize. But I work with five different farms in Belize. So I have those five. And then at the moment, I have Madagascar, Uganda, Tanzania, Peru, and Dominican Republic. So in the past, I've had some Venezuelan and Honduran, which were great, but it just, it depends on what I can get, what time of the year. And, and you can
0: tell, just like you said, maybe with wines, you can, or coffee, you can tell the yeah. difference with that chocolate. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah.
1: it's remarkable that the difference in beans. And so once a month I do a chocolate tasting in my store, like on a Friday evening and people come in and we'll taste the five different, actually six different Belizean chocolates now with, the milk chocolate and you can see the similarities that kind of connect all of them but then the vast differences in each of them like some are very strong from the beginning or some will be very mellow and then become very strong in, in flavor and then they'll have like notes of fig or tobacco or one actually has little notes of like popcorn and it's all just from the bead there's nothing added to it hmm. and it's great to have people taste them all And then they say, wow, you know, I was just thought chocolate was chocolate. And it's amazing to see that these six chocolates are all from like within the same country and literally within like a hundred miles of each other being grown. But they're, they're similar in some notes, but wildly different from, you know, some could be very, very spicy and some could be very mellow and, and clean and elegant. That's remarkable. I'm sure I
0: had an idea, but not to that extent. Yeah. Of... The profiles that you can get out of chocolate yeah. and, and considering they're coming from different places in, in the world, that's, yeah. that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The Ugandan chocolate was one of the finest chocolates I've ever enjoyed or ever eaten until this trip to Belize. One of the very first farms I ever went to down in the South from Toledo district is called Ish and they're a Mayan family that's been running. The farm for a long time. And so I went there and, and got quite a lot of, <laughs> a lot of beans from them. And when I started grinding them, just the, the aroma coming out was spectacular. And like every hour I would kind of take a little sample and, and taste it. And just the, the spiciness and the flavors, it was like ginger and nutmeg and allspice, vanilla and black pepper. I really wanted to text the owner and be like, the hell did you put in these? This is amazing. I've never tasted anything like it. And it's really funny because people come into the store and be like, what, what spices did you use in this chocolate? I'm like, nothing. It's just beans, a little bit of extra cocoa butter and cane sugar. And I, I use the cane sugar because of the molasses content kind of helps enrich the flavor. But it, yes, yeah, it's just three ingredients and, and it just mind blowing for people to see their reaction. They're like, wow, I had no idea that chocolate could taste like this on its own. You know, and it's like those, those bold, like Cabernets, you know, some will be very spicy and have like these huge notes and then others will be very mellow and kind of tannic. And and so it. It's fun to kind of, as soon as you explain the comparison to wine, a lot of that clicks in a lot of people's heads like, Oh yeah, that's right. You know, the terroir of wine really affects the flavor, the region and the soil and all of that exactly the same with cacao.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. And so do you ever blend some of these different countries together?
1: I, I don't. I really like the uniqueness of each one of them. I did think about blending, cause there's one point I had just like a few pounds of each of the beans and it wasn't enough to do anything with. And I thought, well, it might be fun to blend them, but I'm just worried that it will like homogenize it. Cause what happens is for the big, the big massive companies, you know, again, Hershey, Nestle, Ghirardelli, Guitard, all that. They, what they'll do is they'll source beans from all around the world, bring them together, You know, roast them, grind them, and that way they they homogenize it so that every single time you eat that bar or buy that bag of chips to make something with, you have the same flavor profile, so you always know what you're getting. It's consistent. And as a home baker, that's what you want, because if you're making a cake or chocolate chip cookies, you might not necessarily want something very wild and spicy or something floral or something, you know, earthy, because that will affect the flavor of your your cake or your cookies chocolate's very porous. It'll take on the flavor of whatever's around it, which is great for cooking and for making chocolates. But like, if you ever throw a bag of chocolate chips in, in your cupboard and it's next to some garlic or onions, or even like cologne or perfume, it'll take on those flavors and then you're going to have onion tasting chocolate. Uh, So it's the big companies will do that. They'll homogenize the beans by blending them. So they have a consistent flavor and that's what they want and as consumers that's what you want and so that's kind of the nice the beauty of the single origin series that i'm doing is people can taste just how different all the different varieties of chocolate are and can people i'm do you ship Um, i do as weather permits we typically start shipping in november and then end around easter um we're still shipping within the state of wyoming but it's it's warming up fast as you know and because my chocolates aren't are fragile, they're mm-hmm. rather unstable in warm weather. You know, twenty minutes in a FedEx or UPS truck when it's eighty degrees out and mm-hmm. gone. So I, you know, we have the website. I we do ship as, as weather permits. Right now, we're going going day by day, depending on the weather. It's supposed to be a little bit cooler this week, and then warm up next week. So we may have to end shipping. But I deliver to Cody and Jackson quite often. So people in the region, you know, know to call the store and place an order. And then like in Jackson, they can pick it up at Sweet Cheeks. And then I have drop-off spots in Cody, um, for the regular customers or people who don't want to drive down to Matizzi. Mm -hmm.
0: Cool. I love it. Yeah. So what is your, your website so people can order
1: this? Yeah. It's com, which are probably two of the hardest words to spell put together. (laughs) But, um, if you just Google Matitsi, I usually come up in one of the first few things. But yeah, and the website has all the basics. A lot of the I have a lot of seasonal flavors and, and different products that rotate throughout the year. But the website's pretty consistent with the base, the core of my products. And there is a holiday page, so Christmas, Valentine's Day, Easter, you know, the seasonal holiday treats are up there. But then just the rest of the year, I stick with the basics. Okay. Why don't
0: you spell Matitzi for people?
1: Sure. It's um, M- E-E-E-E-T-S-E. And, and
0: real quick, what was, so Matisse was founded as a ranching community?
1: Well, basically, yes. I believe it's a Northern Arapaho word for gathering spot. It's where oh. the um, the regional tribes used to meet. It's like where the chiefs meet. And so they would have their annual meetings or get togethers here in this valley. And then there used to be a big mining town west of here Called Kerwin, this was kind of a drop-off point for that, and then a a go-between between Cody and Thermopolis. Hmm. So the town's been around like a hundred, at least one hundred and fifteen years now, I believe. The museum next door is a wealth of knowledge because there's a the Pitchfork Ranch is the big ranch here. It's very famous, and there's quite a few number of well-known artists used to live out there and work out there, and um, yeah, it's it's quite the spectacular valley. Well, Tim, thank you for giving
0: us today such an in-depth knowledge of what you do with chocolate, and I have a different perspective on it nowadays, for sure. Yeah,
1: well, thank you. I appreciate that.
0: You're very welcome. And uh, when you come into Jackson, let's get together for a cup of coffee. It'd be great to meet you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Okay.
0: Well, go enjoy your day there in Matitsi. Enjoy some sunshine before we get more spring snow. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, that's coming. All right. Take care.
0: Thank you. All right. Tim. Thank you
1: so much. Have right. a great day.
0: To learn more about Tim Kellogg and the Mitzi Chocolatier, visit the Jackson Hole com. episode number 238. Thank you, everybody, for listening today. Get out and share this podcast with your friends and families Instagram and Facebook. Do you know of somebody who would like to be a guest? Send us their name. We'd love to have them. Take care, everybody. Look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.